quick recap of the book of Revelations if you haven't been here for the last three weeks uh, or the last three weeks that I've taught this class. Um, so uh, our, our good friend John, uh, who we met in the, the uh, Gospel of John and in the other Gospels, a, a young disciple or young apostle uh, of Jesus, is now an old man in exile on the Isle of Pergamos. Um, and he and he's in exile because he, he taught the words of Christ, right? He uh, spread the words of Christ throughout uh, Asia Minor, what we now think of as Turkey. Um, and in doing so, right, uh, he, he ran afoul of the Roman authorities and they arrested him and they, they put him on uh, Patmos because there's not much point in killing an 80 or 90 year old man. Uh, and there he has a vision. Uh, and that vision is of a being. Uh, he sees this being standing in the midst of, of seven lampstands. Uh, and the being looks like he's made from uh, gemstones uh, or from a gemstone. It's not very clear, but it's, it's clearly a figure that we've already seen in the book of Daniel. Uh, and as the figure speaks, it becomes apparent that this is the risen and glorified Christ. And he says, write down what I say. I'm going to tell you what was. I'm going to tell you what is, and I'm going to tell you things that are yet to come. Um, and then he begins to speak, uh, and uh, he uh, says, write these things down. And we've gone through the last few weeks how he wrote to the, he writes a short letter to each of the seven churches in Asia Minor. Um, and those, uh, those messages are always words of commendation, words of praise, words of condemnation, telling them things that they're doing wrong. Uh, and then finally, uh, an encouragement. Uh, hold steadfast, he says, and you'll win a crown. Or hold steadfast, and I'll dress you in white, uh, and, and so forth. So that, that's where we came to uh, last week, and we had just entered into an explanation or a, a vision that John then has about what is to come. Uh, and the voice calls out to him and says, come up here. And he goes through a door, and he arrives in Revelation chapter 4, uh, in this very striking scene, which I'll read again. So if you turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 4, uh, I'll read it. Um, and I, I guess I, I do want to follow my outline, I, right? I just kind of skip around. It's crazy. Um, the <laughs> um, to, to briefly summarize the letters, right? Words of condemnation, words of, of commendation, uh, exhortation, and then each of them kind of has this theme of compromise with the world, right? Like, hold, hold fast, hold steady to who and what you are, and remember who I am, uh, Jesus says to them. And then he says, don't accommodate other religious practices. Don't, like, that's kind of the undertone of all of this, right? You're, you're going to pass by the people that you passed by in the street every day, and they're going to the temple of Zeus, and they're going to they're feast and eat there and do all kinds of things. Don't follow them. Don't do that. We have a, a different way of doing things. Follow, this, follow the new religion. Follow, be bound to me, he says. Um, and then finally, the theme of Revelation, uh, as I'm going to remind you every week, uh, is the lamb overcomes the systems of the world. And we're going to talk about the lamb today. Never answer a call if you don't know who it is, especially when you're teaching. Um, so, uh, chapter 4. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Uh, 
And immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And I, I apologize for this method of teaching, but as we go along, I'm going to interject and talk just a little bit about what he's seeing. Last week, um, I, I used this phrase, seeing in four dimensions. Um, and I gave the example of an animal, right? Oftentimes, uh, you know, and animals have senses that are different than ours. They're either, they're uh, like a, some dogs are almost blind, but they can smell and hear things that, that are outside of, our, outside of human range, right? We have in John somebody who is, he's in a place that can't be described in words. It's inexpressible. But but Jesus told him at the beginning, write all this down. So he's going to do his best, right? And he's, he's going to struggle through this as we go along. He's going to try to say things that are inexpressible in words. Um, and so it, it, would be like, um, I, it, it would be like if I were trying to describe what it was like to be a dog. It would be very difficult for me, right? We, we are going to see and know each other in ways that are are beyond our current capability and understanding when we reach heaven. We, we just, we don't even know what it will be like. But, but John knows, kind of, and he's, he's got to try to encapsulate it in words that, that, that his audience can understand. Uh, I thought of a, it's maybe not a good analogy, but it occurred to me as I was kind of struggling with how to express this. I, I does anybody like coffee? I, so I, I like the effect that coffee has on my body, right? Like I get up and I drink it and I feel, I feel ener- uh, energized. I, I don't like, I don't like, I don't, um, but any cup of coffee will do, right, for, for me. Um, because the coffee's basically just a, a medium for creamer and sugar and vanilla syrup, right? It's, it's, I just put a bunch of stuff into it and then until it tastes good and then I drink it. And it really, it could be any swill. I, I wouldn't know. Um, but I have a friend uh, at work who is very into coffee. Like, you know, grinds his own coffee every morning. He uses a French press and does, you know, just the right thing. And he's like, uh, this one has like chocolate notes and... Uh, you know, it's, it's, a Nicar- it's a Nicaraguan blend or a Kenyan blend. He knows the place of origin and kind of what it tastes like. And I'm like, I'm like, uh, it, no, just put like a bunch. Here's how you make it taste better. And I put a bunch of, a bunch of sweetener and sugar and, you know, other stuff in it. Um, he has the ability to discern the taste of coffee in a way that I don't. It's outside of my range or interest right? Um, and there are people like that with everything, right? If, think about music. Um, I, I can listen to a piece of classical music and I can say, yeah, it's pretty. But that's about as sophisticated as my analysis could ever be, right? Yeah, it's, it's pleasant. It's nice to listen to. But it, if you get somebody who's deeply into classical music, they can tell you every, every nuance of it and like what makes it pretty, um, and and that's, that's kind of what John is experiencing here, right? He's, he's in a place where he's trying to compress down this enormous range of senses and experiences into human language in this very narrow band that he has to express it. So, um, it's, he's saying, 
it was awesome, right? <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. It's kind of what he's saying, and it's, it's impossible for him to express. So let's go on. Uh, and he, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. This is verse 3. And one, someone, sat on the throne. Now notice here he does not describe yet who's sitting on, or what that, this person looks like. Next verse he says, And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper uh, and a sardine stone, a carnelian. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight, in, in vision, like unto an, em, an emerald. Notice that he uses the words like or it was like, or it was, it, was um, it looked like, right? He's using simile and metaphor a lot to talk about what he's seeing because he can't really express it. Um, so this person who's sitting on the throne looks like, like the risen and glorified Christ did, right? Like he looks like he's made of gemstones or something. Um, like that. And then... Uh, it says in verse 3, And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. Well, that's weird, right? Because a rainbow is, is many colored, right? And a, this, it says that an emerald is green. So it, it has this appearance of a rainbow. And it, it, it's helpful here to know that the, the word that the Greeks usually use for a bow or rainbow is the same word that they use for bow and arrow, which is toxon. Uh, and the word here is iris, like a halo. So think of like a halo around this throne that is, is green in, like, in appearance. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the, the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast was, had a face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is yet to come. And when, the, when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their thrones before the throne, or the crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We'll go on to chapter 5 in just a moment, but I wanted to interject here. Last, last, uh, last week I called this a divine council scene, uh, and that's what it is. Um, and this actually appears, that something like this appears in several places in our Bible, and we're going to turn to one of them, um, which is Job 1. Uh, this will be very familiar to most of you. Job chapter 1. We'll start with verse 1. There was a... What's that? Job. Yeah, sorry, Dominic. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. 
And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also uh, was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sat and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Here's where we dive into the divine counsel. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. So change the scene. Now we're in heaven, right? Uh, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, and one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Well, doth, God, doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand, and it, I won't go on, but you, you understand the, the story of Job begins with a divine counsel scene, right? It begins with the sons of God, these spiritual beings in front of God talking about Job. Uh, and Satan, the Hasatan, the, the Satan uh, in, in Hebrew, is there and he acts as the prosecuting attorney, right? And he says, well, yeah, of course Job loves you. Um, you, you hook him up all the time. Um, and then that initiates Job's trials, right? So we have, there are other places, uh, Psalm 82 and many others throughout the Bible where this this idea, right, that God has a counsel that he calls on uh, and, and speaks to is, is very apparent. Um, we, we don't know why he does that, right? He, he can do anything, so he could act without them, but it, apparently it pleases him to do that. Um, so let's continue. Uh, and I'm sorry, the, the other issue here is uh, who are all these people? Right in in the divine council, who who's hanging out here in the throne room with God? Um, we talked about the the uh, the living creatures, right? The the four beasts last week. Um, they appear in Ezekiel as well. Uh, in Ezekiel's vision of God, there's this uh, this uh, these four like throne guardians who look like this. Right, they're rotating in Ezekiel, so Ezekiel sees all four of their faces. Um, but in the context of Revelation, John is only seeing them in one dimension, so he mentions each one, the face he can see of each one. So there are these creatures there, um, and then there are these twenty-four elders, uh, and it's not explained, uh, it's not articulated clearly who they are. But I'm going to offer up a suggestion here for you. Um, there are really three possibilities. We don't find, so numbers are significant in the Bible uh, a lot of the time. Uh, but there are hardly any places where the number 24 occurs. Um, that is where, where 24 is super significant in any way. 
The one place where it is, uh, is in Chronicles. Um, when David, uh, he doesn't create the priesthood because the priesthood already exists, but he divides it into 24 divisions. Uh, and he puts one person in charge of each of the divisions of the priesthood. Um, which suggests that the people who are sitting, in one idea, that the people who are sitting around the throne are priests, right? It's, it's meant to signify that they are the priesthood of God, uh, and they are sitting on their own little thrones. They're priests and kings, uh, and they are uh, helping God to rule and reign. Um, so that's, that's one suggestion. I like it because it, it connects up pretty well with that passage in Second Chronicles, um, and it, it uh, is also something that somebody who was receiving this letter and was well-versed in the Old Testament would recognize as significant. A couple other possibilities. It's the sum of all believers um, across time. Uh, and, if, if you, uh, and, and typically the way that gets put is, well, it represents the 12 patriarchs, right? The 12, 12 sons of Jacob who found the nation of Israel, right? So the 12 tribes all had like one guy who was uh, their, like, their uh, patriarch or the, the, the person who founded that tribe, and that represents them. So it represents the, the, the Jewish nation, believer, the Old Testament believers. Um, and then the other 12, the, the remaining 12, represent the 12 apostles who stand in the place of New Testament believers. So it's all the church across all time is represented by these 24 elders. I, I want to suggest to you that it is also... Uh, and it can, be, it can be all of these things, or uh, not, none of them, uh, but I think it is some combination of all of them. Uh, if we were to go back and look at each of the letters in chapters 2 and 3 to each of the seven churches, right? you're going to recall, um, and I'll just uh, I'll read some of them. So verse uh, 321, to him that over... This is, this is the, the letter to the church at Laodicea. He says... Uh, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Uh, verse uh, 311. Uh, Behold, I come quickly. Hold, fa- hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Uh, and then we could go back through, through each of the letters, but each of the exhortations has something to do with rulership, with dressing you in white, with giving you a crown, with um, giving you victory, with overcoming. Um, and, and so I'm going to suggest that, and, and so uh, Dominic asked a question last week, he, and we were talking about whether the, the seven churches are the seven church ages, uh, or whether they represent, they're just seven seven literal physical churches, or whether they're both. And Dominic, uh, probably without knowing it, he brought up a, a concept called census plenar, the fuller sense. Yeah, he loves that stuff. He's, he's super into it. So uh, um, there is this idea, it's exactly what you articulated, which is that, um, y- yes, this meant something to the people who received it at the time, but there's a fuller sense in which the Holy Spirit meant it to be received by the church across time. The, like it, something else is revealed by it that the original recipients would not have known. Perfect example is 
uh, in Isaiah, the verses that we always read at Christmas, right? Uh, the government will be on his shoulder. You know, we, you know, we go through and, and mighty God, holy one, you know, all the, you know we sing the song uh, and we sing it about Jesus. Um, if you go back and read Isaiah, it's not about Jesus. It's about, it's about Hezekiah, probably. It's about the next king of Israel. Um, but like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they read that, they were like, oh, that's about Jesus too. They say that's about Jesus, right? They were recognizing in the moment in Isaiah, when Isaiah wrote that, he may not have had a messianic purpose in mind, but God was knitting together the words of Scripture in a way that would deliver content to people in the future. That's all. That is cool. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I think um, if we read this with that principle in mind, probably the seven churches that got it, right, when they read about these elders, they're like, oh, that's us, right? He's saying we're, we're going to sit in the divine council. That's us if we, over, if, if we hold fast, right? That's the victory that comes in light of the culture, in light of our resistance to the culture around us, that's what's going to happen to us. Um, so it can mean, right, it's all of believers across time. Um, you know, it, it um, so it's, I think it's some combination of all of those, but we would be, we'd be making a mistake to ignore the connective tissue within the letter itself to say, oh, it's symbolic in these different ways and not pay attention first to what it meant to the people who got it. Um, also, uh, when Dominic asked that question, it made me think about my own biases. And I think I said this, but maybe not explicitly. I, I do not like symbolic readings of things. Like, jo John saw this. He, wasn't, he didn't write it down and say, oh, they'll, they'll figure it out later uh, what the symbols are that I'm writing. No, this is something he saw and he's describing. And he's, uh, gosh, he's doing his best. Um, and, and I think doing a good job because the book's lasted 2,000 years. But, um, and it's very impactful. Uh, but he, um, I, I think he saw it. It doesn't mean it can't be symbolic, right? But... In the moment, we have to think about, okay, who's receiving it and how would they have read it and what, what, what would they have drawn from the text? So, um, all of which is to say, I, I think it's all, probably all three of those things. Uh, in the moment, it's the people who are receiving the letter, like they're understanding, in the future, this is us, right? This is what is to come, victory. Uh, and actually, that's, uh, uh, this, is on the, on, this is the second Greek note I'll make. And this is the only Greek I'll use. It's the only, the only Greek I know. That's not true. Um, the, the word for crown in this passage is, so usually the word is uh, di uh, diadema. It's where we get the word diadem, if you remember who that's, which in our culture means like a really thin band, like a, a, almost like a tiara, like a woman would wear. Um, but that's the word for crown. The word here is stephanos, which is a, a wreath, Right, that you wear for victory. Right? So these aren't just kings or priests. They're conquerors as well. They've overcome. Um, the lamb overcomes the system of the world. And if you follow him, so do you. Right? That's the idea. So let's continue. Uh, the only other note I'll make in verse 4, or chapter 4, is uh, 
Verse 5, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So we've got two persons of God in front of us right now. We've got the Father, who's presumably this, this person seated on the throne, and we've got the seven spirits, of, or we've got the Holy Spirit is there as well. Chapter 5, where's the Son? Oh, he's, gonna, he's arriving in chapter 5. Uh, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Heaven seems like a loud place. There's a lot of thunderings and, a lot of thunderings and lightnings and, and loud voices and, and worshiping. Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Imagine being one of the people receiving this letter and being persecuted. Imagine the enormous hope that this would give you, right? The lamb overcomes, and so do you. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and which are in the sea and all, of, and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. So, just a couple notes. Um, I, I like this phrase uh, in chapter 5, verse 10, and has made un us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. That echoes uh, two things. One, it echoes the, uh, the Old Testament promise in Deuteronomy uh, that believers will be a kingdom of priests. Right? That's our destiny, is to be a kingdom of priests. Uh, so that... Uh, it echoes that. And then earlier on, uh, if you will recall, and if I can find it, uh, which I probably won't be able to, um, as he's beginning to write to the churches, he mentions, and I'll just get the verse next week and let you know where it, where it is, but he specifically mentions uh, that one of the rewards for overcoming, for persevering, 
is to be made a king and a priest. Right? And that, to me, emphasizes the idea of, okay, the, this is supposed to represent something to the people who are receiving it that is connected to them. Um, so a couple, couple things uh, before I go on. Uh, let's turn to Daniel 12. So what is up with this scroll? You might ask. If we go to Daniel 12, <laughs> Daniel uh, does all the things that we do on the flannel board, right? Like all the lion's den, and the, you know, all that stuff is in like Daniel 1 through 7, and then it gets super weird for like, like six, cha- <laughs> six chapters. Um, and so he has all these visions uh, of uh, connected to the end times, connected to... Um, connected to messianic expectation, like he sees the son of man figure uh, overcoming uh, the systems of the world and being given uh, authority and power by this figure that he calls the ancient of days. That's a divine counsel scene too. But in verse 12, uh, or chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Sorry, something's happening here. And they that uh, be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, firmament, and they that turn uh, many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, where he's been writing all this down, even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river, and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be uh, to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and time and a half, or a time, times, and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the, the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. So all these visions, all these uh, uh he has this vision about like when the time of the end is going to be and what's going to happen. If we went through the, the previous chapters, you would see that there are times when Daniel is so overloaded with knowledge, uh, so overloaded with what he's hearing that he gets sick um, or he passes out um, and the, the, the angel has to revive him. Um, and in verse 8, it says, And I heard, but I understood not. Then I said I, O oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that next week, um, but... Uh, that's an amazing bit of prophecy, um, and I'm not, I won't spoil it uh, this week, but y- your mind will be, I promise you, your mind will be blown if you come next week. Um, so, the, right, Daniel wrote down all this stuff, 
because he was told to. And if you're a reader of this and you're, you're heavily versed in the Old Testament and you've, you've already connected Daniel multiple times to what's going on, in your mind you're saying it's, it's that scroll that, that he made Daniel seal up to the time of the end. And now we're going to open it and find out what was in it. 